This past Wednesday night, we, um, we had a discussion uh, dur- during our prayer and Bible study time about love languages. I don't remember how many years ago it was. Uh, Ron and I, we were, at that time, our oldest daughter was living in our basement, and she actually told me and Rhonda, this has been, gosh, a long time ago, probably 10 years ago or better. Anyway, she told me and Rhonda, we needed to read the five love languages because apparently we were button heads with each other a little too much. So we read the book and uh, I'm just, we talked about the whole idea this past Wednesday night. And uh, so I just want to share with you a little bit about the love languages. Now, no, normally these apply to marriages, uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, maybe parents and children. But really, these, these ideas relate to all relationships. So here's, here's one of them, in case you don't know. Words of affirmation. Now, that's one of my love languages. I love to be affirmed. I love to be told, uh, you did good, or you're doing a great job. You know, things like that. I like those little strokes on the back. Uh, another one, physical touch. Some people's love language is to be physically touched. Now, we, physical touch is hand, shoulder, hugs. Some, some people, that's the way they know that they feel loved. And then uh, receiving gifts. People love, some people, their love language is getting gifts. And uh, they don't have to be expensive, by the way. They can just be little things. And then quality time. Now, for Rhonda, that has been and probably still is her number one love language. She wants, craves, and needs quality time, especially from me. And then the last one is acts of service. And that's where you show someone or they feel loved when they are being served in some capacity. Now, throughout the years, Rhonda and I have, um, I'm putting this away now. I had to cheat and look at those, all right? I didn't want to forget one. So sometimes I, I in my house or our house, I, um, I do a lot of serving. And now Rhonda has told me that must be your number one language. I went, no, no, no. You need to affirm me. You need to tell me how good I am. But she said, you try to serve me all the time. I don't want you to serve me. So now we've shifted the way we phrase it and simply say, I'm not serving you. I'm just doing chores that have to be done. So when you're talking about relationships, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy. So the, the, today I want you to think about this. This is not a sermon, a message about marriage specifically. This is not a message about parents and children specifically. It is not about co-workers. This, this message is how you and me and all of us can have healthy relationships, having great relationships. Because when it comes down to relationships, we, we often struggle with that. And we often wonder, well, why am I not happy in my, my marriage? Or why is it not happy And why are things so tense in my house? Or why is it difficult in my church or my workplace? You name it, whatever the relationship, we need to have great relationships. And by that, I mean healthy relationships. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about growing deeper. 
growing deeper in, in our simple knowledge that when the storms of life come, when those difficulties come, our roots in God and our roots in Scripture are so deep that we can withstand those storms. And we've talked about over January and this month how we need to understand and know Scripture, how we need to pray, pray knowing that God is and God will walk with us and God will give us, and how to pray even when the answer is delayed or no. How do we deal with those not-right-now answers? And then we've talked about our devotion to God needs to be more important than anything else in this world. Last week, I talked about this idea, that our relationships may not be what they could be because our relationship with God is not what it should be. That if we have a negative view of God, that will affect the way we relate not only to Him, but also to each other. And we need to fix that. We need to work on our, do I really love God? Today, we're going to talk about relating to each other. Last week, I talked about David and Saul. David killed Goliath. The people sang his praises. And from that moment when Saul heard how much David was given words of affirmation, Saul began to hate David. He became so jealous of David, who is now his son-in-law, he tried to kill him on numerous occasions. Saul had a son. David is married to one of Saul's daughters, Michal. Jonathan, one of Saul's sons, the one who would be the next king of Israel. Jonathan and David became very good friends, best friends. Now, you may Google their relationship. This is something on a sidebar very quickly that says they were homosexual. They were not homosexual. That's nowhere in the Scripture, nowhere to be found. So you can just say that's just propaganda for today. They were very good friends. So much so that Jonathan's and David's bond, their spirit, their sense of brotherhood, their relationship became so strong that even Jonathan's life would become threatened by his own father. So let's read a little bit of this story in chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading with verse 13, and we're just going to dive right in to some ways you and me can have great relationships. So here's how the story reads. If my father intends to bring evil on you, may the Lord punish Jonathan. Now this is Jonathan talking to David. So just backdrop. The two of them have met in a field. Saul has sent soldiers to David and his daughter, David's wife, to his house to arrest him so that he could be killed. Michal found out about it. She, he slipped out a back door, and he ran to a far-off place. Jonathan meets up with David later, and they had this very intense conversation about Saul's intention, Jonathan's loyalty to his father, as well as Jonathan's loyalty to his good friend David. So he says, if my father intends to bring evil on you, may the Lord punish Jonathan and do so severely if I do not tell you and send you away so that you may leave safely. May the Lord be with you just as he was with my father. If I continue to live, show me kindness from the Lord. But if I die, 
Don't ever withdraw your kindness from my household, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Then Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord hold David's enemies accountable. Jonathan once again swore to David in his love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, this is what I want you to see from these words that Jonathan speaks. Jonathan is the heir to become the king of Israel. Jonathan, though, also knows that God has rejected his father. God had revealed that to Jonathan. And Jonathan also understood and knew that God had anointed David to be the next king of Israel. He is affirming that in these words to David. And he's saying to David, listen, and, and, and you can go back and read the verses before, verses 1 through 12. You can read what Jonathan and David are talking about. And they're basically saying, listen, David even said, Jonathan, if, if your father intends to kill me, just do it yourself. Just kill me yourself. Spare me the agony. Let's just get it over with. I will yield to you and you can kill me and we can just go on about, or you can go on about your life. And Jonathan then said, no, no, no. No, you don't understand, David. You've been anointed to be the new king. I do not want to do anything that will get in the way of God's plan. That is God's will. I respect that and I honor that and I accept that. Can, now listen. If you are going to be the next president or the king of a nation and someone before you was a threat to that, most people wouldn't honor that. Most people would say, I'm going to do you in because I want that. You see the character of Jonathan here? Jonathan is saying, I have a great respect and honor for the plan of God. His purpose. And so I will honor that. David, you are like my brother. And I love you as I love myself. And I guarantee you that you will achieve the purpose God has set before you. And I will do my part and my role in and throughout this journey. So David, though, is obviously concerned. Because he's thinking in his own life. Can I really trust Jonathan? I can't trust Saul. He's bona fide crazy. He's already tried to kill me more than once. And this is his son, and I know what he's saying. I hear what he's saying, but can I really trust what he's saying? All of these thoughts are rushing through David's own mind. So the key figure in this scripture passage is more about Jonathan's character than it is David's character. Because in some ways, Jonathan, from a worldly perspective, has more to gain than lose. But yet, you, you need to hear, Jonathan says, in words, but his heart displayed his true intention. His love for God, his love for the purposes of God were more important to him than even those of his father. Later in this story as it unfolds, Saul confronts his son Jonathan and basically says to him, you love David more. You don't love me. You 
and he used some pretty interesting language, and the scriptures kind of cleaned it up. But he basically called him, you are the son of a prostitute. And then he tried to kill his own son in that encounter. And it was at that moment Jonathan became convinced that, yeah, daddy's crazy. Daddy's lost it. But he was still loyal and honoring to his father. Can you imagine the tension in the house? So here's, here's what I want you to understand. We, we live in a world similar to what Jonathan and David were living in. None of us, to my knowledge, are going to be a king or a queen or you know, hold some high-ranking office in our own country. But, but we all struggle with human relationships. When we are in relationship with each other, sometimes it gets a little, a little tricky. Sometimes it, it becomes tense. And sometimes we may wonder, what can I do as far as it lies within me in this relationship? I remember the story. I don't remember the story, but I remember the story behind the story. It was sometime last year when I shared a story to make a point during a sermon with my wonderful wife as the object of the story. Now, I, because the words of affirmation now, that, that really speaks to me. I read your faces and your smiles and your reaction as I told the story. And, and, and yes, I exaggerated the story a lot. I don't know how much. I don't even remember the story. But the more you fed that to me, I just went with it. After I finished that in my brain, I thought to myself, I should not have done that. <laughs> Service was over. We got in the car. We pull out. We're on the road. This this picture in your mind, and I'm trying not to exaggerate, picture in your mind, I'm driving, Rhonda's sitting next to me, and you could feel the tension. It was as thick as a thick fog. And I knew why. And sometimes going home, I ask this question, what did you think of the sermon today? Well, that day I didn't because I knew what she thought. And so I finally broke the ice and said, well, I guess you didn't care for that story, did you? She said, no. You threw me under the bus. And I explained my logic and rationale. But you know what? Here's the thing. At that point, guess what? It didn't matter. The damage was done. So I had to apologize, ask for forgiveness. I almost exaggerated. I'll just leave it there. I was going to add things like get on the, you know, my knees and beg for forgiveness, but no, that didn't happen. Now, here's what I want to say. In all of our lives and in all of our relationships, sometimes the tension is thick. It happens between spouses, parents and children, brothers and sisters. It happens between coworkers. It happens between classmates at school. It happens in churches. It happens everywhere. So how can you and how can I have a great relationship? 
I'm going to take up and just very quickly share what I shared with you last week. The first and foremost one is this, love God first. You, you, you cannot have a great relationship unless you learn to love God more than anything else in the world. And here's the scripture I want to share with you. Matthew 23, uh, 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm adding that because he said it in another location. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor is anybody. But the first, the first thing, the foremost thing, we must learn to truly love God. And we must know that God really loves us. That's what I talked about last week. Until we get that settled in our mind and in our heart, you see, Jonathan understood God's role in his life and God's plan in his life. Jonathan understood his father and how he was to honor his father and mother. Jonathan understood, though, that his father, because of his sin and his decisions to rebel against God's plan and purpose, cost not just his father the throne, but it also cost Jonathan the throne. And he accepted that. And he said so to David. And he said to David, God has chosen you to be the king, and I will stand with you and by you when that day comes. You see, he truly loved God more than he loved anything else in this world. And if our relationships are going to be great with other people, we've got to, love, we've got to love God more than anything. We've got to pursue God's way of doing things. We've got to pursue God's plan for doing things. And if we can't do that, guess what? Our relationships here on this earth are not going to be great. They're going to be, well, not great. Maybe bad. If we don't have relationships according to God's plan, they're not going to be great. Second thing I want to share with you, and this one is very, very simple. We need to learn to look back sometimes. We love God, but we also need to learn to look back in our life. Colossians 3.13 says it this way, Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. There are moments in our life that we, we do good at this. We celebrate those positive moments. On my phone, like many of your phones, in your home, you, you have pictures. Rhonda has one of those little picture frames that she adds pictures to it, and it just scrolls. You know what pictures do? They tell a story of the past. They tell a story of who you are, where you've been, and who you've done it with. And we need to learn in relationships, if we're going to have great ones, we have to look back. There are moments that are great. There are moments that put a smile on our face. There are, there are moments that bring us great joy. And we need to celebrate those moments, relish in those moments, enjoy those moments. I do that as a hospice chaplain. When I go into someone's home for the very first time, I'll look around in their house or their room, wherever it happens to be, 
and I look for pictures and I ask, tell me about this or tell me about that. Tell me about your family just to help them remember and celebrate the past. And then there are those moments where the past wasn't always so great. When we look back, we also need to remember the not-so-great moments because those moments can rob us of our present great relationships. Something that happened 10 years ago or 5 years ago or 20 years ago, if we don't deal with those moments, it'll rob you. More than one person I've met has told me about such moments. Sisters with broken relationships, parents with broken relationships, spouses with broken relationships. Something that was said or something that was done or something that wasn't said or wasn't done that was never discussed, never worked out, never worked through, never talked about. And sadly, never forgiven. You see, we need to learn to look back. This verse in Colossians says, make allowance for each other's faults. I'm going to go on record and, and say this with certainty. I am a great husband. I am a great father. I'm a pretty good pastor, and I can say this with certainty. I am far from perfect. I have faults. I have a lot of faults. I have a lot of shortcomings. And in each of those shortcomings, guess what? I might make anyone in my life unhappy at any given moment. By something that I might say on purpose or just because I'm goofy. Or I might not say something that causes someone in my life to be unhappy. And this verse in Colossians reminds us that we need to make an allowance for each other's faults. Look at the people in your life. Look at them right now. If you're married, look at your husband or wife. If you've got children, find them, look them up. Look at the people in your life and ask this question of yourself. Is this person in my life, my family, my church, are they perfect? No. They, they is not a single perfect person. We all have our faults, and we need to give each other mutually an allowance for our faults. Now, it doesn't mean you say, well, just abuse me. It doesn't mean you say, well, just keep being stupid or just keep being reckless or whatever. The we need, though, to understand that the people in our life will never communicate perfectly. They will never say what you always want them to say. They will never do what you always want them to do. They will never treat you the way you want to be treated. You have to give them an allowance for their faults. And when those faults happen, when they break your heart, when they disappoint you, when they fail you and offend you, Colossians 3.13, you have to forgive them. 
You have to say, I have been forgiven by God for all of my sins, and Scripture mandates, requires of me to forgive them of the wrongs they've committed me. See, what happens in our relationships, and this is one of the reasons we don't have great ones, is because we don't give each other, and we fail to look back and say, hmm, I need to give my wife, my husband, my son, my daughter, my sister, my brother, my father, my church member, my co-worker, an allowance for their stupidity. I am giving them an allowance to be stupid and reckless and sinful. They have offended me and messed up me. I mean, I am so frustrated with them. But I am going to forgive them for their recklessness, their irresponsibility, their callous, unintentional, or intentional attempts or actions that have broken me. I forgive them. I, I wipe it off their chart of debt to me. They don't owe me anything. The debt has been paid because my debt has been paid by Jesus himself. And I will forgive them as Jesus forgives me. And I'm going to look back and I'm not going to hold it to their account and I'm still going to fight for the relationship. That's hard to do sometimes. It's just hard. If you're going to have great relationships, you've got to learn to look back. Also, we need to look ahead. You look back, but you've got to look ahead as well. The verse of Scripture is Matthew 7, 12. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So you're looking back and you're remembering some things that some folks have wronged you in, that you're in relationship with. You're working on forgiving them and you may be struggling with forgiveness. And this is why we've got to look ahead. If you stay in the past and live in the past, you'll never get out of the past. So you celebrate what's happened. You look back. You remember. You say, I forgive. And now you're looking ahead. This is one way to work through a moment of forgiveness. You, you be mindful of what the people in your life need. And what they need may not be what you think they need. You've got to ask yourself, what do they really need? So we like to inject, project our needs into the lives of people around us. But what you need may not be what they need. Here, here's, here's something that is so important. All of us, to have great relationships, in order to look ahead, we need to talk about what we need in relationships. And we need to be willing to hear what the other people are saying they need. This is true of marriage. This is true of family relationships, church relationships. We all have to forgive what's happened, celebrate, but we also need to do to others what we would want them to do to us. How do we want to be treated? Do we want someone to just go, hmm, yeah, I'm married to you. I don't have to like you. You may be my sister, but you're obnoxious. You may be my child, but you act like the devil. You may be my mama, but you're bullheaded. 
You may be in my church, and I don't want to sit close to you because I just don't like you. What do people need? And how do we want to be treated? We often treat people not the way we want to be treated. Did you hear that? We often treat other people wrongly. And if we really treated people the way we wanted to be treated, meaning I am, this is hard to say, I am going to put my needs behind their needs. Oh, I don't want to do that, right? I don't want to treat them that way because they don't love me back that way. What did Jesus do? See, this is why I started with Jesus if you're not getting what you want from another person in your life, you need to probably start saying, I need to treat them the way I want to be treated. I'm going to listen. I am going to hear them. I mean, really hear them. I am going to sacrifice what I want right now so that they can enjoy what they want to enjoy. Their feelings, their desires, their needs. That's hard to do. But it's necessary for us to do that. And then the last thing is this. We need to look around. We look back, we look ahead, and then we just look around because we never know when it's going to happen. Matthew 7, 2. I mean, I'm sorry. Look around Romans 12, 18. Do all that you can. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Oh, peace. We all want the absence of war and conflict in relationships, but if we're going to have those healthy relationships, we need to constantly look around so that we can live peacefully with those in our life. I guarantee you, you know this yourself, if you are in any kind of relationship with anybody, there will be moments of conflict, stress, and tension. It will happen. I guarantee it. It's how you handle the conflict that makes the difference. So we look back. We celebrate the good. We forgive the past, the bad. We are constantly looking ahead so that we can love others the way we ourselves want to be loved. And when conflict happens, we're looking around and asking this question, i got to address this. Remember me in the car three months ago? I knew the tension was present. I knew the reason for the tension was not Rhonda's fault. I knew it was because I spoke an exaggerated story that made her look bad. Was that what I intended to do? No. It just happened. Does that make it excusable? Nope. See, sometimes we say and do things we don't mean. It just happens. Sometimes we do things that are harmful, and we do intend to drive the knife and twist it a little bit. But whatever the case, we have to learn to handle the conflict quickly. We can't let it fester. We can't let it grow. 
We can't let it sit in the crock pot and just continue to cook. We need to look around and do everything we can to live at peace with those we are in relationship with. That means several things. It means learning to say, I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I hurt your feelings, and that was not right. I care for you, and I am in relationship with you, and I want us to have the best relationship that God wants us to have. You learn to say, I'm going to address the conflict, and I'm going to resolve the conflict as long as it lies within me. See, that's what happened in this story with David and Jonathan. David felt threatened. David felt intimidated. David felt he couldn't trust Jonathan because of his relationship with his own father. And it was an intense conversation they had where they both were looking back, where they both were looking ahead, and where they were both also looking around. In other words, we can't have healthy relationships without conversation. And we also need to learn in this moment, the goal is not revenge. Remember the line in The Wizard of Oz? I'll get you, my pretty. See, some of us have that mentality that if I'm wronged, I'm going to get you. You'll pay for this. That's not what Jesus did. It's not about revenge. It's not about retaliation. It's not about taking out and just all-out war. It's about reconciliation. What can I do to resolve the conflict? To return back to a more normal, healthy, happy, loving, kind, and gracious relationship. And I will be the first to let you know, this whole thing of having great relationships is a constant daily struggle because you will inadvertently, unintentionally have those moments where something comes out of your mouth or something doesn't come out of your mouth or you do something or don't do something with someone in your life and there is that moment of just almost instantaneous kaboom and you're blindsided and you may wonder where did that come from and if you don't deal with it the way God loves you and cares for you it'll only get worse this is hard work so this week your homework, I'm giving homework. Your homework is this, to say to yourself this week, I will love others like Jesus loves me. I will love others like Jesus loves me. I'm going to say it one more time. I will love others like Jesus loves me. And when we learn to love others in our life like Jesus loves me, you, you will be on the road to having healthy relationships. It won't be easy. 
It's going to be hard work. Some of you, I can see your faces. You're there. You're wondering and you're thinking, I'm not looking forward to this. But I'm going to challenge you to go into those relationships that you have that are not what you wish they were and do the hard thing to love like Jesus loves you. 